Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 139. Please read the highlighted verses with me. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you so much, Mary, for that introduction. And thank you so much, Grace, for welcoming me here this morning. Um, as Mary mentioned, I'm John. I am the RUF campus minister at UC Berkeley, and I bring greetings from you there. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you uh, sitting here graduated from Cal, but if you did, go Bears. Um, if you're interested in hearing more about uh, what God has been doing on UC Berkeley's campus or what he is currently still doing, um, I'd love to connect with you, tell you more about it after the service. So please um, come find me, say hi, I'd love to connect with you. Um, but as Mary shared, I think during this season of Eastertide at Grace, you guys have been going through a series called Easter Songs, looking at selected psalms. Um, and this morning we're going to look at Psalm 139, which we just read. Uh, but before we look at it, I would ask if you guys would pray with me one more time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, words of hope and comfort, words that have the power to change and transform lives. And may the words of my mouth now and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, 
our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, I don't know how many of you guys like movies, uh, but one of the things I found out about college ministry is that college students love movies. Uh, and specifically, they really love superhero movies. Um, it seems like the last few years, superhero movies have been all the rage. If you've been following Marvel and the Avengers, I think just two months ago, the new Ant-Man movie came out. And I think this coming weekend, the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie is coming out. Um, I don't know if it's like number three, number four. To be honest, I kind of lose track. There's so many superheroes and superpowers these days. But every time I watch a superhero movie or TV show, I always end up asking myself the same question, which is, I'm sure, a question you might have asked yourself before as well. And the question is, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would it be? And I've had debates with friends and colleagues and now with a lot of college students. Uh, but every time I end up having this conversation, my answer to that question is always the same. If I could have any superpower in the world, I would want the power of infinite knowledge. I would want to know everything about anything. I'd want to know what's going on, uh, going to happen in the future. I want to know what people think about me. Um, that probably tells you a lot about me than you <laughs> maybe need to know, but um, that's the power I would want. I would want to know everything about everything. And I think given everything that we have experienced in the last few years, the power to know everything would come in pretty handy, wouldn't it? Um, it would have been nice to know about COVID and how to deal with it three years ago. It would have been nice to know how election results happened in our country. It would have been nice to know about how the economy was going to turn out and where inflation is going and what our housing market is doing. Um, if any of you in here are Sacramento Kings fans, maybe you would love to know what's going to happen in a couple hours against Game 7 with the Warriors. Uh, but my point is... Um, all joking aside, my point is it's been a cu difficult couple of years for everyone, right? And those examples that I uh, listed above don't even take into account some of the individual difficulties that you've had to face the last couple of years, right? For some of you, the last couple of years have involved financial struggles, health scares, the loss of loved ones, relationship conflicts with your family issues at work or at school, it sure would be nice to know when these trials and tribulations are all going to end or how they will all shake out. Well, obviously, none of us have this superpower to know everything. But in our text today, David reminds us of someone who does have that power. Psalm 139 is a beautiful psalm that expresses so many beautiful truths about God. But one truth that comes across crystal clear is the truth that God is omniscient that God knows everything, and specifically, God knows everything about you, right? He knows everything you're struggling with. He knows how he will work everything out. You and I might not be able to understand or comprehend why we are going through whatever trials, whatever difficulties, whatever darkness we might find ourselves in. But we know and we can trust that God knows what he is doing and that he will get us through it. David needed to remind himself of that truth, and you and I need to be reminded of that truth as well. And so that's what I hope to share with you all this morning, that because God fully knows everything about you, you can fully 
trust in him. Because God fully knows everything about you, you can fully trust in him. And we're going to look at three different ways God knows, fully knows us through this psalm. And the first is God knows what your situation is. Second is God knows where your story began. And third is God knows what you're searching for. So first, God knows what your situation is. He knows where your story began, and he knows what you're searching for. So first, God knows what your situation is. Uh, David starts off this psalm by painting a pretty clear picture of how well God knows all about your present circumstances and whatever it is you're dealing with. All right, verse 2, David says, God knows when you sit down and rise up. He discerns your thoughts. Verse 3, God knows your past and you're lying down. He's acquainted with all your ways. Verse 4, God knows what you will say even before you say it. David is describing how comprehensive God's knowledge is of you and what you're going through. Right? There's not one aspect of your life that God doesn't know about. So whether you are resting at home, relaxing on vacation, or whether you're dragging yourself out of bed to get to school or get to get to work, God knows when you've accomplished something great, like if you're graduating high school or college or getting married or getting a promotion at work, and he knows when you're struggling, like if you need to go to the hospital because you're sick or if you need to find a job in order to make ends meet. And God doesn't just know what your situation is, but he also knows how you're going to respond to that situation. He knows your opinions about what's going on in the world, He knows your thoughts about what's going on at work or school. He knows the feelings you have about what is going on in your own family. God doesn't just know what you're going to tweet or what you're going to post on social media, but he knows those things that you decide not to tweet and not to post. My parents came to visit me last summer. It was the first time I had seen them in three years because of the pandemic. They live in Taiwan where I grew up, um, and I was in San Diego at the time. And it was a great time um, to see them. Uh, It was a great time of fellowship. But what what was uncanny to me was how well my mom knew me even after three years of being apart physically. Uh, There was one morning where I went to pick uh, my mom and dad up for breakfast. They were staying with my brother. And so I got to his place. I knocked on the door. And my mom opened the door. And the first thing she said to me was, John, you did not brush your teeth this morning, did you? Now... I brushed my teeth. I brushed my teeth this morning. Um, but that day, actually, she was correct. Uh, I, I had just gotten back from a youth retreat that I had led uh, over two days, and I was exhausted the night before, and I just crashed and woke up slightly late for breakfast, just rushed out. So I had not brushed my teeth that morning, and I don't know how my mom knew. I still, to this day, I was like, Mom, how did you know? But my point is, if that's how well my mom knew me after three years of being apart, how much more does our Heavenly Father know us? Well, David gives us at least two reasons why God knows all these things about us. And one is because God is actively and specially interested in you. Look at verse 1. David says, God has searched me and known me. Right? That word search there has the idea of like a treasure hunter digging for treasure. It has the idea of a lawyer poring over evidence in preparation for a trial. The Old Testament uses that word to describe spies as they go and spy out a land. 
David is describing God as someone who takes special effort to seek you out and to know you. From knowing your biggest dreams and aspirations down to the smallest detail, like what color socks you decide to wear this morning or what cereal you had for breakfast. Now, David isn't saying that God has to do such a thorough search in order to know things about you. We know God's knowledge is infinite and immediate. He doesn't have to find things out. But what David is doing here is he's using language to try and describe to us how much God knows you. Right? And the second reason why God knows what your situation is, is because God is everywhere. Right? There's no place you can go where God is not. And David asks that question rhetorically there in verses 7 through 10 of our text. If there was somewhere that God wasn't present. Right? David asks, if he went to heaven, God would be there. If he went down to Sheol, which is the place of the dead, God would be there. Verse 9, if he takes the wings of the morning, which is the east, right, the sun rises in the east, God would be there. And if he's in the uttermost parts of the sea, which was west for Israel, God would be there. No matter where David goes in this universe, God is there. Now, you might hear that, and you might think to yourself, mm, John, that actually sounds a little bit smothering. Right? As Americans, we value our privacy. We don't like it when people know everything about us. We definitely don't like it when people follow us around. Uh, but David here, he's not describing God like Google or Amazon in your house where it listens to your conversations and then has ads in your phone that shows you. Um, that's not what David is describing God here like. David is describing God more here like a parent, right? a parent who lovingly watches over us. God specially searches us out because, because he cares about us. Right? God is everywhere with us so that he can hold us and lead us and guide us, like it says there in verse 10 of our psalm. God knows us in our situation and in our, in our circumstances not to be nosy, but to help us through them. And that's probably what's most encouraging about the truth, that God knows what your circumstances are. Right? God doesn't just know about your trials and tribulations, but he knows how he will bring them to an end. Look at the second part of verse 16. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. David here is getting at the truth that God has a plan for us, that he knows our future, that he has numbered our days. And I know that that initially might sound like a threat, right? In English, we have that idiom, your days are numbered, and we, that, that's not a good thing. But here, here, when David says that, it's actually extremely comforting. If you are going to a doctor's office and you are nervous, you are so nervous about the diagnosis the doctor is going to give you, you can have confidence that there is nothing a doctor can say that will change the number of days you have to live. Right? A doctor can tell you what's going on with your health. A doctor can tell you what is going on with your body. But there is nothing they can say that will shore in a day of your life because your days rest in the hands of a sovereign God. Brothers and sisters, trust in a God who fully knows everything about you. 
Amidst all the difficult and distressing news that swirl around us, from the macro news like war and recession and politics, all the way to your own personal troubles, live not in fear, but in faith that your heavenly Father has already determined your days and nothing that this world throws at you can change that. So first, God knows what your situation is. But second, God knows where your story began. As David is reflecting on how much God knows him and how much he knows his present circumstances, he naturally goes all the way back to when God created and formed him at birth. Right? God knows all of us fully because he was the one who created us in the first place. He knows the beginning of our story. When we talk about God as our creator, I think a lot of times we think of him as a creator in general terms, God creating the heavens and the earth. Less often do we take time to reflect on the fact that God is your personal creator, right? And yet that's what David reflects on here in verses 13 through 16 of our text. He describes God as knitting you in your mother's womb, that he intricately wove you together, right? Something very similar to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, where God is the potter and we are the clay. And David is not just saying that God created your physical body, but David is also saying God created your personality, your emotions, and your passions as well. There in verse 13, David says, God formed my inward parts. And that word inward parts, if you literally translate it, would mean inner organs, which is like a Hebrew way of saying your entire inner being. Kind of like in English when we say, like, when we think with our gut, right? It's like our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings are there. God, David is saying God knows you so well that he doesn't just know how many hairs there are on your head, but he knows why you are an extrovert or an introvert and why you act the way you are, right? And he knows that because God designed everything about you. And that just shows us how much God cares for us, doesn't it? God was meticulous when he made you. He formed you with painstaking detail. And we don't come to existence just because of some biological reaction. But one commentator put it this way. You and I are the artistry of divine activity. This is why we plead with people not to get an abortion, because God knew you even when you were in your mother's womb. God knew you when you were an unformed substance, when nobody else could see you. God was making you in secret. And if this is who our God is, a God who takes so much care that he carefully designed you to every last detail, then that means this is a God we can trust because this is a God who has created you for a purpose. God put you on earth for a reason. There was a reason why God made you the way you are. In verse 14, David praises God, and it's the prayer that we prayed when we were echoing that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, that phrase, fearfully and wonderfully made, can initially be confusing. When you read that, when you say that, what does it mean to be fearfully made? But that phrase has the connotation of being distinct. It has the idea of being set apart. David praises God not just for creating him, but for creating him to be a part of God's plan. 
Similar to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. We can trust, we can trust God because God knows the beginning of your story and he wrote your story with a plot already laid out, a plot that ends with your hope and with your future. Part of knowing our story, however, is also knowing our faults and our failures, and God knows those too. I look at verse 11. This is a part of the section in the psalm where David, David has been asking God, where might he flee from his presence? David has already acknowledged there is nowhere he can go to escape God. And so he asks about a scenario in which darkness could cover him, in which he would be surrounded by darkness. Why would David want to be surrounded by darkness? Why would David want to hide from God? Because David knows that he is a sinner, and he knows that God knows that full well. Right, we've seen this in other places in Scripture. In Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. They didn't want God to know what they did. And then if you go all the way to the end of Scripture and Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, the apostle John has a vision of people who are rebelling against God, and when God com comes to confront them, they cry out to the mountains and the rocks, and they say, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of God. Right, from the beginning of humanity to the end of mankind, no one can stand before God when he comes to hold us accountable for our sin. Our default reaction is to hide. David knew this only too well. David was a man after God's own heart, but David was also, he also knew that he had sinned miserably in his life. The most famous is probably when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband, Uriah. Can you imagine what David felt like when he was being confronted by Nathan the prophet? My most darkest, deepest, most heinous crime has now been uncovered. What is God going to do to me? Is God going to remove me as king of Israel? Is God going to forsake me and my family? Is God going to kill me? Those are probably some of the thoughts that were running through David's mind. And so a natural reaction of his would have been to run and to hide from God and his righteousness, to hide in his sin so that the light would not shine on it. And so you can imagine the relief then when Nathan told David, the Lord has put away your sin you shall not die. David still had to suffer the consequences of his sin, but God did not forsake him, and God did not kill him. Right? God knew how heinous David's sin was, and yet he still loved him. And the question is, why? Why would God do that? Because the same is true for you and me, brothers and sisters. God knows your sin. He knows what you try to hide from everybody else, from your friends, from your coworkers, from your loved ones, from your family. He knows the deepest, darkest secret that you would never want anyone to find out, and he still loves you. The question again is why? And the answer is because of David's greater son, 
Jesus. I look at verse 12. David says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The darkest day in the history of humanity was when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified on a Roman cross for your sins and for my sins. God knew that when he was knitting you together in your mother's womb, that his only son would be torn apart on the cross for us. Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself and experience that ultimate darkness for you and for me. But praise God, even that ultimate darkness was not too dark for God. God knew what he was doing, as David says in this psalm, truly darkness is as light with God. Jesus turned the darkest night in human history also into our brightest day. His death washed away our sins, and three days later, he rose from the grave conquering sin and death, and therefore guaranteeing that you and I will also one day rise from the dead. Jesus went through that ultimate darkness. He was willing to go through that ultimate darkness so that you and I would never have to. Right? That's why even though God knows all your sin, even though he knows all of your shame and your guilt and dark secrets that you think nobody else knows, despite all that, he still loves you. He loves you because of what Jesus has done. And that, that's what's most amazing to me. That God knew all the sins you were going to commit. God knew how wicked you were and what the wickedness that was in your heart. And he still sent Jesus to die for you. That's how much God loves you and cares for you and treasures you. How can we not help but trust in a God who loves us that much? Who knew how sinful we were from the beginning and was still willing to send his son Jesus to die for us. That leads me to my last point. God knows what you're searching for. Right? Knowing everything that Jesus has done, how he turned our darkest night also into our brightest day, how should we respond? What should be your heart's desire? What should be my heart's desire? Well, David tells us at least two things we should desire and search for, both things that God knows and he will provide. First, David tells us we should look and ask for deliverance from sin and wickedness. In verses 19 through 22, David shifts now from praising God to asking God to deliver him from evil, to bring his righteous judgment on those who are against God. Right? David has been reflecting on how much God knows him and cares for him and loves him, how a God who formed him and who knows all his shortcomings still is there for him. And so David's response is one of loyalty to God and hatred for those that are against the Lord. But what about you? What is your attitude towards sin? Does knowing how much Jesus sacrificed to save you inspire you to hate your own personal sin? Do you have the same posture Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 when he encounters a vision of God on the throne, high and lifted up, and he realizes that he is a man of unclean lips because he has a sense of his own sinfulness and his own unworthiness? 
right? The truths that Psalm 139 proclaims to us should spur us to want to be killing our own sin and not let sin be killing us, as John Owen famously said. But as you read verses 19 through 22, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable saying the things that David says here, right? How can we pray the same thing David says, asking God to slay the wicked and to hate those who hate God? Well, we pray those things the same way Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? Every time we recite the Lord's Prayer and we ask for God's kingdom to come and for God's will to be done, we are asking and praying that at the same time the kingdom of Satan be destroyed, that the enemies of God be eliminated, right? After everything that Jesus has done for us, we want his kingdom to come, we want his justice to reign, we want to be his loyal subjects, and that leads to the second thing that David tells us that you and I should search for, which is the way everlasting. Right? Not only should we be searching out our sin and killing it, but we should be searching out how to live our lives in a way that glorifies God, in a way that signals to the world that he has saved us and that we are his. That's how David concludes the psalm in verse 23 and 24, when he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Right, David wants God to fully know him, to know his worries and his hopes and his doubts and his dreams and aspirations. He is looking for God to show him how to live amidst all those feelings. God knew that's what David was looking for. He led David in the way everlasting. Is that the same for you? Is that also what you are searching for. My hope is that verses 23 through 24 will also be your prayer. And you can pray them even more confidently than David because you already know what Jesus has accomplished for you. You can boldly ask God to search you and know you because you know that God fully loves you based on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I'll end with a personal story. When I was in high school, um, I had a Bible teacher who I really loved. He was not only really knowledgeable and a great teacher about the subject, but he cared for us as students. But one time in the middle of the semester, there was a test, and I did not study well. For, I didn't study at all, pretty much, for it. And so I, I cheated to get a better grade on that test. Um, and I knew that he didn't catch me, and so days and even weeks went by, and everything seemed normal. Now, I was initially scared a little bit at first. I was, had a little bit of guilt and shame, but as time went on, I thought, you know, I hid that pretty well. It'll be okay. Well, unbeknownst to me, a friend in that class um, actually saw me cheat and went and told the teacher. And so a week or so later, the teacher texted me and was like, hey, John, love to grab lunch with you. And I thought in my head that he wanted to catch up. He wanted to see how I was doing. He wanted to ask me about my college applications. I was a senior in high school at the time. Um, I thought that he wanted to tell me how well I was doing in his class. Um, I had no idea what was coming. Right? But when we sat down, he said two words to me that shook me to my very core that I still remember to this day. He said the words, I know. Right? When I heard that, I froze. Right? My heart was racing. I thought those two words would be my condemnation. 
I thought I was going to get kicked out of school. I thought I was going to get rejected by all the colleges that I applied to. I thought I was going to bring so much guilt and shame on my family. I thought I was going to get forsaken and ridiculed by all my friends. But instead, what happened was, instead of those two words being words of condemnation, they actually restored me and gave me life. I still suffered the consequences. I failed that test. But my teacher didn't, he didn't condemn me. He didn't kick me out of school. Instead, he prayed with me. He cried with me. He forgave me for what I did. He loved that dumb 17-year-old boy who thought his world was crashing down. Friends, you have a God who is saying those words to you, I know. You have a God who knows your circumstances, who knows your sin, who knows that you long to be fully known and fully loved. And the good news is he does. He fully knows and he fully loves you because of his son, Jesus.